page with me, if you would, please, whether you have it in a print or digital form. We are going to go to Joshua chapter 9 this morning, and I am excited because I believe, in fact, I know that uh, what God's Word is going to point us to today is going to help some of you. We have been in the book of Joshua, and we went through chapter 6, which showed us how Joshua and the people of Israel marched around the walls of Jericho. God caused those walls to crumble and he gave them victory. And then last week, we were in Joshua chapter 7 and we took a look at those hidden sins, those things that we have a tendency to kind of sweep under the rug. And we looked at how we can deal with those things and allow confession and repentance to bring victory to our lives. So we've talked about this in several different ways. Today we're in Joshua chapter 9 and uh, going to be a little bit different as a message, but I am I'm confident that this is going to help you today. If, if last week was painfully... Um, spiritual in how we looked at our own individual lives, then today is going to be intensely practical. And we're going to look at the topic of how do we make decisions, in particular, decisions in our lives that oftentimes involve other people. Because if we're honest, most of the decisions we make somehow affect other individuals. We don't make those decisions in a vacuum. And oftentimes the decisions that we make are actually things where we, we connect with other people in some way. And so these are the things we're going to talk about in these next few moments as we walk through the story in Joshua chapter 9. We, we are going to cover a lot of ground in the next few minutes. And so the notes are available on the Bible app. If you have a, a phone or an, a tablet of some kind, you can also access them uh, on our website. They'll be available by Wednesday morning, as, as will the video. And it takes a while for those things to get up there, but they'll be available at that point. But we're going to walk through this here today, and we're going to start Joshua chapter 9. How do you make decisions with discernment? Let's jump into our story. If you remember, Joshua and the people of Israel have had great victories. They defeated Jericho. And even though they lost the first battle in Ai last week, if you read Joshua chapter 8, you know that God gave them an amazing victory over that same city in Joshua chapter 8. Now we get to Joshua chapter 9. Watch the effect that those victories have had on the people around them. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. We won't... Take time, in fact, we will here in a few weeks to unpack this whole dynamic of, of battle that was taking place between Israel and the people in that land. But here's, here's the bottom line. These different tribes, the, the Candelites, the Dynamites, the Adasites, all these people were rebelling against God. They knew who he was, and yet they chose to fight him instead of recognize him for the God that he was. And so there was warfare and there was battle that took place, except for one group. There was one group who said, let's try another strategy. Look at verse 3, Joshua chapter 9, verse 3. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. And then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. 
this may be the first instance of trick or treat. They put on a costume, they walked up on Joshua's porch, they rang his doorbell, and said, Here we are, will you make a treaty with us? They were posing as people from far away, they were people who lived nearby. And instead of going to battle, they used deception. In the middle of a football season, it might be good for us to call it a trick play. They wanted Joshua's team to look one way while they did something going the other way. It was deception. It was a trick play. And here's what's interesting about it is that Joshua and the people of Israel fell for it. They had this critical decision to make about what to do with these people who showed up at their front door. They had to decide how to respond. And we'll we'll unpack some of the decisions, the questions that they should have asked as they went along. But here's the bottom line. They just made a bad decision. Joshua chapter 9, look at verse 15. It says, Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Joshua and his leadership just made a bad decision. They should have done one thing. In fact, it should have been very clear with them, above anything else, don't make a treaty with these people. And yet they did. They made a choice that was wrong, and this is where we find them. But it wasn't without um, maybe some red flags. Do you know what we mean sometimes when you say you're, you're going to make a decision and you experience a gut check? You're just like, ah, I, don't, I don't know, I just don't have peace about this. Something just doesn't feel right. Joshua and the Israelites had that experience. Look at verse 7 of Joshua chapter 9. When, when, they, when they rolled up to the front door and showed them all this, the Israelites said to the Hivites, but, but perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? Joshua and the people of Israel had that gut check. They saw some red flags, but they did not respond to it. They made their decision without asking some critical questions that, as we go through the text, we'll see that they should have asked that led them to make a decision without discernment. And that's not what I want for you today. So what I want to give to you is this. I want to give you six questions to consider when making decisions with discernment. We're going to move through these questions quickly this morning. We're going to see them out of the text here. Six questions to consider when making decisions with discernment because there comes these critical moments when we have to decide what to do. As a pastor, people will often come to me and say, Pastor, what do you think I should do? I've got this decision in front of me. How do you think I should respond? My typical answer is, uh, I don't know. Right? I don't, I don't know. But they say, what's a biblical guideline? Are there principles that I should consider? Sometimes people come to me and say, what decision do you think I should make? Other times people come to me and say, Pastor, I made a decision and now I regret it. Now what do I do? And oftentimes these decisions have to do with our relationships and our interaction with other people. Let me, let me give you some examples of some of these decisions. And maybe you're in the midst of some of these. Sometimes it's, it's a business partnership. It's where someone is entering into some kind of an agreement with another person. And they say, how do, I, how do I respond in this situation? Oftentimes, these conversations happen somewhere around the topic of dating or marriage in a premarital counseling setting or something like that when someone is making a critical decision about who to spend the rest of their life with. This is also true with questions like, should I retire? Should I take this new job? Should I relocate my family? I love him and I love her. Should we move in together? 
Where should I go to school? How should I use my gifts? What church should I attend? Should I do this unethical thing that I have pressure to respond to? There's these questions that come our way. And if, if, if we took a minute, I think somewhere we could all go, okay, that's a decision that somehow I'm making right now. Maybe there's something that comes to your mind. It might seem small to you. It might be a big deal. But you say, I'm making a decision right now. How do I know that I'm making the right decision? Now, what I want to give to you today is just some, some thoughts that I hope are intensely practical. Now, they're general wisdom. They might not apply directly to everything that you're going through, but I do believe that the Holy Spirit can then take these truths and apply them to your life. And so we're going to walk through six questions for making decisions with discernment. I've given each one of these questions kind of just a little name so that it can help us to remember It was probably about a month ago as I was pondering some things in my own life and I was thinking about this passage of scripture knowing that we'd be teaching this in the weeks to come that the Lord dropped these questions kind of just, just, you ever have just feel like God just parachutes an idea into your head? Do you know what I mean? It was like kind of that was there. I was like, okay, wow, I I, I see that. And then I'm thankful I had an opportunity to kind of walk this through with our staff. They helped me to to think through some of this. I meet with a a small group of of leaders, some guys that that we get together and we talk about the subject of leadership. And I'm really thankful that they helped me to kind of hammer out some thoughts on this. So let me give you six questions, making decisions on discernment, with discernment. Question number one is what I would call the homework question. It's the homework question. How many of you, homework was your favorite part of school? (laughs) Yeah, mine neither. But here's a question you should consider. Number one, have I done my homework to verify what I see and hear? Have I done my homework to verify what I see and what I hear? Have I found out that this is true? Because typically, if someone is trying to give you something that's too good to be true, then usually it's too good to be, (laughs) it's just not true. And so you need to dig in and say, is this really what it is? Oftentimes, people tell you what they want you to hear. Things are not what they appear to be. And it's wisdom for us to say, I did my homework to back this up and make sure that this is what it should be. Look at what Joshua did. Joshua chapter 9, verse 8. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. Did they answer the question? No. They just told him what he wanted to hear. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? And they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is? And these wineskins that were filled were new, but see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. And the Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. So these Gibeonites roll up and say, look at how tired our donkeys are. Look at how nasty our bread is. And our wineskins are cracked and our Nikes are worn out. Can't you see? We have come from a far distance. And we're here to make a treaty with you. 
And so the people of Israel took a bite of the bread and said, yeah, that tastes, that tastes nasty. Okay, let's make a deal. But they didn't do their homework. It might have been good for them to have followed up, maybe to have sent a delegation back with them to see where they were really from, maybe to have asked some more questions, maybe to have given it a little bit more time to figure out what's the best thing here. The truth is many times we make bad decisions because we haven't taken time to verify and ask questions and to see if what someone is saying to us is really true. I'm so thankful for for Calvary's church board because so many times when we're in a process of making decisions, the the gentlemen that sit around that table will say, how do we know this is right? What do we need to do to make sure that we're making a right decision? And it's not always the quickest thing. It's not always the thing that seems right just at the moment, but it's good for you to recognize that good decision-making requires diligent process. If you're going to make a decision, recognize that good decision-making requires diligent process. You've got to find out what's going on. Here's the deal. You know why we don't like the word, or why we don't like the homework question? We don't like the homework question because it has the word work in it. And it takes time, and it takes effort, but it can make all the difference. Straight out of the headlines this week, a guy in in Great Britain, in Wales, who had swindled his elderly neighbor, who was having symptoms of Alzheimer's, he swindled his neighbor out of over $64,000 out of that individual's bank account. Then he got busted, and he had a court date where he had to go and defend himself. So instead of going to court, he had his wife take pictures and send a note to the court that said he had suffered a neck injury that had left him as a quadriplegic. And he faked being in a coma for two years. Every time the court came up, and he would check himself into the hospital, he would do these different things. Every time the court case came up, his wife would send pictures or she would do something to say, he can't come, he's in a coma. Here's here's how it went down, though. Eventually, the police said, something's not right. And what they found out was that when he wasn't in a coma, he was going to the grocery store. And they busted him because when he would go to the grocery store, he would use his rewards card. Do you know what I mean? So they eventually tracked the usage of his rewards card, found out when he was there, got closed-circuit TV images, and found out that you can shop in and out of a coma. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) He probably will be going to jail in the next couple of weeks. He had him fooled until somebody did their homework. Critical question to ask, how do I know what I see and what I hear is true? You ready for the second question? Number two. You're not going to like the name of this one. Some of you won't like it, but, but walk with me here for a minute. Question number two is the crystal ball question. The crystal ball question. Crystal ball is not a country western singer, by the way. Isn't that, does that sound like a great name for a country western singer? In, in mythology and fairy tales, a crystal ball is something that you would look in and it would show you the future. We don't believe that there's really crystal balls, and even if there were, would Christians use something like that? Nah, biblically it would be inappropriate, but here's the deal. I bet you've wished you had one. I bet there's times when you wished. I just wish I knew it was coming in the future. That's why when you were in junior high, you had a magic eight ball. Do you remember those things? And you would take that thing, and you would go, is it my lucky day? And then you'd turn it over, and it would say no. You're like, "If, if, if I ask her out... Will she say yes? And you turn it over and it says no. And you say the batteries must be dead. And so you turn it over 
They don't take batteries. And then you try it again. And you do it until it says yes. And she married me. Isn't that awesome? We wish we had a crystal ball. How do we know what the future is going to bring? Let me just, let me just make a statement and then we'll put it in the, in the form of a question. If you really want to dig down and figure out what's ahead for me in the future, then you need to find out what's most likely to happen. Now, we'll talk about grace and we'll talk about God's power to change lives. We'll get to that in a moment. So don't, don't check out on that. We're people of grace. We, we believe Jesus makes us a new creation. But here's the bottom line truth in most instances. The best predictor of what's going to happen in the future is what has already happened in the past. Let's take this out of the context of grace and how Jesus changes people. Let's just talk about you and me and dealings in the real world. Here's the bottom line. The best indicator of the future is the past. If that's the case, here's the crystal ball question. If the past is the best indicator of the future, what does that tell me about this situation? If the past is the best indicator of the future, what does that tell me about this situation? If that person has hurt me in the past... If that situation has caused me pain in the past. If I have been in a place where I have been deceived in the past. Then maybe I need to consider that as I move forward into the future. What's, what's, the, what's the book of Hezekiah say? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. There is no book of Hezekiah. It's, it's not there. It's just an old saying, right? But the truth is, I need to recognize these patterns that come up. And happen in our lives. Well, what about grace? Aren't you supposed to forgive people? Absolutely. Otherwise, it'll, it'll eat you alive. But what about trust? Aren't we supposed to trust and hope the best for people? Absolutely. That's a part of who we are. But remember what Jesus said? He told his disciples that they need to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. You treat everyone with love and grace. And yet, you do it with great wisdom. No one knew the fact that Jesus could change someone's life better than the Apostle Paul. And yet, repeatedly in the epistles, he says to those that he is writing to, be careful of certain people, because their past is an indicator of how they might respond to you in the future. Here's one example. He's writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he's strongly opposed to our message. Now this is an interesting thing to think about. But it's something that we really need to take to heart. That if something has been a certain way in the past, we need to remember that it could be like that again in the future. And if, and if something is, is happening in this way, if, if someone is treating you with disrespect today, then what makes you think they're going to treat you different further down the road? Now, wait a minute. Doesn't the very definition of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, say that faith is believing in things that you cannot see? It's what you have hoped for and what you hope to see happen. So if I'm a boss, shouldn't I have hope that my employees are going to get it right? That their performance is going to improve? If I'm in a relationship with someone, whether it be business or, or a friendship or romantic or whatever that might be, shouldn't, shouldn't I believe that it's going to get better? Absolutely. But at some point, you have to ask a basic question. What is the difference between having faithful expectation and watching, let's just say in an employee's situation, someone that has poor performance? Now, this is just 
This is just rubber meets the road stuff. But here's the truth. The difference between faithful expectation and poor performance is character. If you see character in someone, if you see integrity, then you put confidence and you can put trust in them. But if that just is not there, and we'll talk about, we'll, we'll dissect this a little bit more as we go along. At some point, there's a difference there. So it's good for you to ask the crystal ball question and say, if the past is the best indicator of the future, what does that mean for me? Joshua knew these Canaanites. He knew that they were liars. He knew that they were people who had no integrity. And all of a sudden, they roll up and say, we're your servants. It didn't line up. Their present expression did not line up with their past experience, and that should have been a red flag for Joshua. And instead, he drove right through it, which takes us to our third question. Are you ready? Number three, it's what I would call the traffic light question. The traffic light question. You guys know how traffic lights work, right? Red light, stop. Green light, go. Yellow light, better hurry, right? That's the the idea. Most of you at least know how they work, whether or not those little cameras the city put up to get a nice picture of you would agree with you or not. But the same thing happens in our spirit at times. When we interact with people, when we talk to people, sometimes the spirit speaks to us about how we should respond. That There's a red light that says stop. There's a yellow light that says, hey, move forward, but be careful. There's a green light that says you're, you're all go. And the Spirit speaks to us. Sometimes it's just common sense that speaks to us and helps us to see how we should respond in these situations. And how will this decision affect me moving forward in God's plan for my life? Here's the question. Number three, the traffic light question. How will this decision affect my progress in fulfilling God's will for my life? How will this decision affect my progress in fulfilling God's will for my life. The Gibeonites rolled up and said, Joshua, make a treaty with us. God's word, if you go back and you read in the Old Testament, in in the law that God gave to the Israelites, said, whatever you do, do not make a treaty with the people in that land. It was right there in front of them. Red light, don't do it. And yet, Joshua and the Israelites fell prey to thinking that that maybe this is different, maybe this is okay, and they did what they knew they should not do, even there was a red light, and it took them to a place where they made a bad decision. Now, I know this is really basic stuff, and many of us would say, well, I already know that, that's not news to me, I, I don't need you to tell me this, but yet we still drive through the intersections and the crossroads of our lives without paying attention to the warning signs that are there. What does what the internal traffic signal of God's word and his spirit speak to us about this decision? And it's so critical when we enter into relationships with other people, especially if they're asking us to do something that we know we should not do. In business, in friendship, when something is in front of us and we have that red light, we need to steer clear. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Did your mom ever tell you that? So did the Apostle Paul. And here's what it comes down to. Do not do what you know you should not do. It's just the bottom line. What does this mean? If there's a red light, stop. Do not do what you know you should not do. Man, we could camp out there for a while, but we better keep moving. Fourth question. Are you ready? Number four is what we would call the baggage question. The baggage question. Have you ever heard, heard it described well, that they have baggage talking about someone? 
there are things in their past or there's something that they carry with them or there's a, there's, a, there's a hidden story to this whole situation and it would be called the baggage question. Have you, have you ever seen the show Shark Tank? Anybody ever seen that show? You seen it? It's a cool show and, and it's really actually quite informative. They've got these, these billion millionaires, you know, that sit up there and they have all this money and they're the sharks. And then entrepreneurs come in and pitch their ideas. And oftentimes, they're they're amazing inventions or discoveries or whatever. And what they're looking for is for the sharks to invest in their products to help them to get out there and to succeed. And so the sharks can make some money and the entrepreneurs can have some capital to start with. And it's really cool to watch. You can learn quite a bit by their dialogue. And what happens oftentimes is the entrepreneur comes in and says, this is my product. And the sharks go, wow, that's cool. There's a market for that. That's awesome. And they, they do all this. And then the sharks start asking questions. And they ask things like, how much of your own money do you already have invested in this? How, how much sales have you had? This is the big one. They ask this question. How much debt do you have? What, what do you owe in the process of this? And oftentimes, even if it's an amazing invention, when the sharks find out how much liability comes with this product, the sharks go, that's it, I'm out. It's cool, but I'm not obligating myself to that. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that. That's, that's the baggage question. What comes with this? Here's, here's how we would phrase it. What other issues, concerns, or responsibilities come with this decision? What other issues, concerns, or responsibilities come with this decision? Here's what God had told them back in Deuteronomy. He said, look, if you, if you let the, the candlelights and the dynamites, you know all those people, the Canaanites, if you let them stay in the land then what will happen is they will convince your people to live by their rules and to worship their gods. And eventually, they are going to deceive God's people into worshiping false gods because they'll make promises that just aren't true. So that's why you need to to wipe them out because of their wickedness, because it will affect you if you don't. So God says, whatever you do, don't make a treaty because it comes with these consequences attached to it, issues and concerns and responsibilities. And so he says, you need to deal with that. You need to see what's coming down the pike. That's the baggage question. If I make this decision, what comes with it? Now, this, this leads us to some really tricky dialogue that we could have because I'll just, I'll just be honest with you, and you were, you were here last week, so you know. I have baggage, and so do you. Some of us have backpacks. Some of us have suitcases. Some of us have semis, right? We've all got baggage. So does that mean we should have nothing to do with each other? Here's the tricky, tricky part of this whole thing. Do we believe that God is a God of grace? Yes or no? Do we believe that Jesus changes lives? Yes or no? Do we buy into the truth that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come? Yes or no? Yes, it's God's word. It's true. He changes our hearts. So how do I know what to do? See, the baggage question isn't a deal breaker. It doesn't mean that if someone has baggage, if a situation has baggage, if there's things that are attached to it that I just run from it, what it means is that I have to use discernment and decide what does this mean and how does this fit and play out in my life. Here's what Paul said about, let's just talk about us. Let's just talk about individuals for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. He says, talking about their past sins, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, look, There was a change that came to your life. Here's the truth. A new creation will produce good fruit. 
If someone is a new creation, then you will see it come out of their lives. Jesus said that it's by their what? By their fruit you will know them. You know if a tree is good by the fruit that it produces. You know if God has truly done a work of grace in someone's life because good fruit is going to come out of them. If you read Galatians chapter 5, and we don't have time to do it today, but it defines for us what good fruit looks like. It also tells us what bad fruit looks like. And I'd encourage you, read Galatians chapter 5 this week. Set, set aside 20 minutes to sit down with God's word and read through Galatians chapter 5 and do a little inventory of your fruit and discern whether or not God's grace is really at work in your life. Are you dealing with those things? can have a tendency to hold us back. Because the truth is, a new creation will produce good fruit. Very quickly, a a fifth question. Let me throw your way. And we see it in this whole passage. It's what's called the compass question. The compass question. Number five is the compass question. And here's this question for you. Number five, will this decision take me off course? The compass question. Will this decision take me off course? If you've ever been hiking out in the woods, maybe you've done some orienteering and you have, a, you have a compass in your hands and you're going in a direction and if you're off even by one degree, it's not going to make that big of a deal for the first few steps. But you get a couple miles into the woods, that one degree is going to take you really off course, isn't it? Because it changes over time. It's going to separate you. And you need to find out, am I on the same page here? Are we going in the same direction? Being off by one degree makes a world of difference miles down the road. If you're off even by one degree, it just makes a world of difference miles down the road. Here's what happened. They didn't push all the Canaanites out of the promised land. So a generation later, when Joshua dies, and these people who came into the promised land die, you get to Judges chapter 2, and it tells you that people begin to worship false gods, and they begin to dismiss the truths about God's word, and they begin to live the way they want to, and God has to bring judgment on them. Why? Because they were just, just off from what God had asked them to do. You have to ask this compass question. Are we going in the same direction here? Now, here's, here's the tough part. We talk about these five questions, and if you're like me, at some point you're going through them, and you say to yourself, wow, that's, that's helpful. Those are good questions. Or I hope, hope you do. You say, okay, I get that. But I missed it. There was a decision that I made where I should have asked that question. I should have listened to the red light. But I didn't. So now, instead of making a good decision, I got a backpack full of regret. Now what do I do? What's that look like? Because I made this decision. The truth is, some of you are thinking that. You're thinking about it in a friendship. You're thinking about it in a job decision. You're thinking about it in a business partnership. You're thinking about it in some some things that were further down the road. Some of you, if you're honest, in the back of your head, you may even be sitting there going, man, did I make the right choice in an occupation? Did I make the right choice in a spouse? Did I make the right choice in my walk with God? Did I make the right choice? And what we can begin to do is we can begin to think, man, if I made the wrong decision, then I've got to turn around real quick and fix that. What do I do if I'm in that spot because I didn't ask the right questions before I made the decision? Well, it's, it's helpful for us to go to God's word because that's exactly what Joshua did. He made a wrong decision. So what do you do if you want to take a wrong decision and do what's right? Let's go back to the text. Joshua chapter 9, verse 16. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. How does that happen? 
Three days later, you go out to get the mail, and the mailman's like, hey, I saw Bob Gibeon over here. He's a good guy. He just lives around the corner. (laughs) What? How, How do you find out that people who you thought lived miles away are actually on the other side of the fence? I don't know how that works back in the ancient Near East, but here's what happened. They found out, and so the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kirfah, Beeroth, Kiriath, Jerem, and the Israelites did not attack them, because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live. So that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leaders kept, uh, so the leaders promised to them was kept. We could, we could spend a whole lot of time on this, but here's the bottom line. When we see we've made a wrong decision, it could be easy for us to throw that sucker in reverse and go, okay, I'm going to change this. I'm going to quit my job, or I'm going to break that promise, or I'm going to get a divorce, or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. We could be quick to do that. But you made a commitment. Joshua made a decision before God and said, we can't break that promise because we made that promise before God. So what do you do in those moments? You realize that I'm going to do what's right, even if I made a decision that was wrong. And the truth is this. Your character is more important than your consequences. You've got to do the right thing. And the right thing is not always the convenient thing. The convenient thing would be for them to go in, wipe these people out, take what they have. That's why the people grumbled, because they wanted their German-made chariots. They were like, man, they got good stuff. Let's take it. Let's make it ours. But the truth is that convenience and obedience are not the same thing. They're just not the same thing. They're two different decisions. Okay, one, one, last, one last question. And the other five, hopefully, were helpful. This one is what really matters. Question number six is what I'd like to call the first question. Now, I know it's the sixth one, but it should be the first one that you ask. If you start here, then all the others have a different perspective. The sixth question. Let's, let's go back to the text. Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. The first question You should ask when you're making a decision, when you're choosing what to do, when you're trying to figure out what's the right thing. The number one thing is this. Have I inquired of the Lord? That's the first question. What does his word say to me? What does the Bible teach me is the right thing to do? What does his spirit speak to me? Am I I sensing a red light in my spirit? And the truth is, the more you inquire of the Lord, the more you're going to be able to hear his voice and respond. When you begin to say, God, I trust you with this decision, then he can speak to you more. God will speak to you by his word. Will God ever ask you to do something that doesn't line up with what the Bible says? No. If you've got a really good idea, but the Bible says don't do it, then it's probably not a God idea. Isn't that true? And if you have a check in your spirit, if you just don't have peace about something, then that either means no or it means wait. But you need to trust that God is speaking to your heart. And the more that you trust him as you sense his spirit speaking, the more you'll get to know his voice. 
He speaks to us by his word. He speaks to us by his spirit. And he speaks to us through other people at times, right? He will confirm what he's doing through other people. It's why I'm so thankful that I've got folks in my life who I can ask for wisdom, for our staff, for Calvary's board, for friends that I know that we have a chance to discuss and say, what do we believe God's speaking in this instance? People that you know that you can trust and you can rely on. Now, if someone asks you to do something that doesn't line up with God's word, is it from God? I don't care how spiritual they are. If somebody encourages you to do something, but you have a check in your spirit and you don't have peace about it or it doesn't line up with God's word, then that's not how that works. But God's people will be used to confirm what God's spirit and his word is speaking to you. And here's the key. We can ask all the other questions, but here's the bottom line. Have you asked God what he thinks? Because his truth is made very available to us. James chapter 1 says if you ask God, he will give you wisdom. He will help you to know what you need to do. The very first question you should ask is, God, what do you want me to do? And it's right there in front of us. We used to have a, a TV stand in our living room. We had it for years and it was made out of glass. And it was just like two... Two shelves of glass, two layers of glass, and the TV sat on one, and then underneath, you could, you could store stuff. So we had, we had stuff, we had remote controls, and you got DVDs, and you got cords, and all this different stuff. And we used to keep it in baskets underneath on this glass shelf. And so we had these little fancy-looking baskets that Rhonda had, and they were there, and so we'd keep this stuff in it. Well, at some point, we said, hey, we're going to change that out. So we got a new TV stand, and it was one of those prefab wood things, you know, that comes in a, in a flat box, and it's supposed to, like, expand and look big, and so I have to put it together, and you pull it out, and then you get to test the fruit of the Spirit in your life while you're doing that, right? And you think of words you don't say anymore, and all that kind of thing, and so we did that. Put it together. It was awesome. It looked great. I did it. I put it together, and then after I did it, I took all the stuff in the baskets, and I put it into this brand new stand and it looked good and I stepped back and I said that is awesome and so it was it was great so we started to use it a couple weeks went by and I wanted to hook up my laptop computer to the tv well we got a couple of cords we use for that in fact I I invested in this several years ago it had to get an adapter and a couple of different cords and so I've got all this I spent I don't know 40 50 bucks for it all so I've got a little bit of cash wrapped up into it and I, and I keep them you know there in the tv stand and I went looking for them and I couldn't find them and I didn't know where they were. So I went through the baskets and I looked for them and I, I couldn't find them anywhere. And so I just figured, well, one of the kids must have used them. And so I said, Clayton, you know, did you use, sometimes he would use them to hook the computer up. I said, you use the cords? And he's like, no, I, I didn't use them. I, I didn't do it. And I'm like, come on, you had friends over. We've got that other TV down in the basement. Did you guys hook something up? And he's like, no, Dad, we haven't, we haven't done it. Well, I didn't believe him. And I'm saying to Rhonda, I know he had them. I know he did it. And so when he wasn't home, I went downstairs. I'm taking cushions out of couches upstairs, downstairs. I'm moving furniture. I'm looking in different rooms. I'm looking in his room. I know those cords are somewhere. I bet one of his rotten little friends took them. <laughs> stuck them in their backpack and just walked away. I'm sure it was innocent, those kleptomaniacs. But they took my cables. I want to know where they are. Weeks go by. And every time I think of this, I can't, I can't hook my laptop up. And it's frustrating to me. And I know these cords are somewhere. And I know one of those rotten kids of mine or one of your kids probably took my cords, right? One day we're sitting there. Weeks later, we literally have probably over the course of these weeks sat in front of that TV for hours at this point, right? One day I'm sitting there. We're watching something. And all of a sudden I went, huh, there's a, there's a drawer in that TV stand. I walked over there, opened the drawer, and there were my cords. Right where I'd put them. When I put the dumb thing together. 
I just forgotten that those drawers were there. I looked everywhere instead of right where they were supposed to be. And my kids, who are still having the character of Christ worked out in their lives, will often walk past that TV stand and say, Hey, Dad, there's a drawer there. (laughs) Pray that they live. It's right there in front of you. I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know what decision or discernment you need. But friend, it's right there in front of you. And we've talked about five very practical questions. I hope that's helpful for you today. But at the end of the day, it starts with inquiring of the Lord. So would you stand with me just right where you are? And here's, here's the question that I want to ask. We're, we're going to in just a moment take time and praise God because he gives us the answers. But here's just the bottom line. So if you're standing, if you just be willing to bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment, here's a quick question. I would ask today, is there anybody who says, I need to make a decision and God, I need your help. Would you just raise your hand? That's you. God, your word spoke to me today. I need to make a decision and I need your help. Awesome. You put your hands down. Second question. God, I made, your, I made a decision without you and now I need your help to do the right thing. God, I made a decision without you and now I need your help to do the right thing. If that's you, just raise your hand. I need your help. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for your word that speaks so clearly to us. God, you know those, those places, those things, those times when we've, uh, we've made decisions, sometimes with you, sometimes without you, sometimes we need you. And so, God, we start by inquiring of you. Lord, I pray that by your word and by your spirit, and Lord, if, if you would, please confirm it through your people. Lord, would you help us to know the right things to do as we trust in and follow you? Lord, your word says that you want to give us victory. Lord, that you help us to know what is, what is, is needed, the wisdom that we need. God, you give it generously. And so now, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for those that have raised a hand. God, that you would allow them to have your direction and your leading. And now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Father, we praise you today as we go because we believe, God, that as we trust in you, Lord, that you will give us the wisdom and the discernment that we need, that you'll help us to make decisions with discernment. So, Father, we trust in you and we praise you today in Jesus' name. As we go from here, would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? And together we ask this and say amen. Amen. Have a great day. We will see you next Sunday. Thanks for being here.